Amen. Amen. But if you would remain standing and take and open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, I believe this is part six or part seven of the interaction that our Lord has with the rich young ruler. And before I read from verse 18 and following, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us. Let's pray. Now, blessed God in Christ, we come and Lord, we come ready to hear your voice. We come as your sheep to acknowledge that you are the great shepherd and we are in need of guidance. We come as you are the great teacher and we are the pupil and we are in need of instruction. And Lord, we come as your children and we come, O oh Lord, just to have your hand upon us that you would bless us with the understanding of your word, your will. Lord, that that would be our food this morning, to know your will and to understand what it is to follow you and what that means to each and every one of us. So Father, as we look again into this text, open our eyes, expand our hearts to receive it, to accept it, and Lord, to carry it forth in our daily living. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 18 of Luke 18. A ruler questioned him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good when no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Well, let me start off by saying that it's a joy and privilege to be able to come again to this text of Scripture, take our time, walk through it, and really turn it over and examine all the various facets of it. Our focus over the last couple of Lord's Days has been verse 22 and following, that is when Jesus heard the acknowledgement 
of his obedience from the rich young ruler, Jesus told him he still liked this one thing, and that was to sell all that he possessed, not some of it, but all of it, and then distribute it to the poor. Don't just give it to your relatives or your friends, to those that might turn around and aid you or help you with it in your newfound poverty. No, give it to those who are in need of it and, well, don't know you, so to speak, because I'm sure he did not have this these uh, poor and his circle of friends. And he said, distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. We ended last Lord's Day sermon really beginning to hone in and focus on what it means to follow Jesus. And that's where we are going to pick back up this morning. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, from the context of the rich young ruler, we have to make a few Uh, we have to acknowledge a couple of things. Number one, that to follow Jesus is synonymous with possessing the kingdom of God and possessing eternal life. Those things all working together. Now that's important because we may find ourselves thinking that we possess eternal life, but yet we really don't understand what it is to follow Jesus. Have I ever took after him? Have I ever begun to walk after him? I mean, have I ever, can I say to myself in, in truth and honesty, yes, I have been walking after Jesus in my Christian experience in life. He's, well, my master, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. If we haven't followed Jesus, then we have to really ask the question, have we, do we possess the kingdom of God? Have we ever really possessed it as our own? Is it something that is ours? The kingdom of God belongs to me. I've taken hold of it. I am, I've taken hold of it because I'm following after Jesus. That's the connection we need to make. And of course, the ultimate goal, the ultimate reward, and at least the ultimate focus is what we call heaven, our eternal life. We want it. We possess, we want it. We, we, we eagerly want to possess this. And yet we have to ask ourselves these other two things. Am I following after Christ? Have I taken hold of the kingdom of God? Now it'd be very easy to look at what it is to follow Jesus and just sort of isolate and select those character traits of Jesus and then subjectively say, now, do you possess these things? Now, we touched on just two of those last week, talking about the way Jesus loved and the way that Jesus had mercy and grace upon and compassion on others. And that's a fine way to look at it, but that's not where we're going to go this morning. We're going to touch broadly upon that. Because I think it's more beneficial for us to consider in the broad sense, this mission that Jesus had in one sense was very unique to him. He came to seek and save that which is lost. That doesn't belong to you or me. We're not out seeking the lost. We're not the savior of the world. God had a particular calling for his son, Jesus, and he came to do that thing, and he came to do it in the particular manner and the characteristic as the son of God, as the perfect head of the sort of redeemed human race, and that in of itself is that broader principle that we are going to look at. It's the same way with the apostles and disciples, and it's, well, it's like that even with other Christians, and I'm going to 
hopefully help us understand that today. Here, here's, here's, let, me, let me narrow it down a little bit. Now, brothers and sisters, we all possess generally that calling to the kingdom, meaning we all have to enter through the narrow gate. That, that belongs to all of us. But on that path, we all bear our own unique callings and responsibilities. They belong to you because God's given them to you. And you have to grasp that. You have to take hold of that. And then you have to bear that load as you follow Jesus. That's the way you follow Jesus, by bearing your load in a very particular way under that general principle of guidance on the narrow path. That is, this is the path that all Christians are on. And yet there are certain things that belong to each one of us that we must be faithful at. Now we find this in the story of the rich young ruler when Jesus told him, look, go sell all that you have. That was his cross, so to speak. That was his cost of discipleship. That was what the Lord laid on him as repentance and said, listen, if you really want eternal life, this is what you're going to have to do. This is your cross. This is your duty. These are your responsibilities. And he didn't do it. It helps us to understand from the text of Scripture that choices have to be made. Now, we need, to really gra- we need to really grasp that understanding because we just confessed in our worship this morning the sovereignty of God and the working of the Spirit and all that belongs to Him. And yes, that's true and that's valid and that is, that is every bit as true as this human experience where the rich young ruler now has been set before him two ways. Two choices to make. I can follow Jesus or I can go about my life the way I've been living it. Choices. And these are choices, beloved. Coming to Christ is a choice. We have to choose to put away from ourselves the old life. Even if it was a life of religion, even if it was a life of good works, now we must put on what it is to do good works that's sanctified by the amazing grace of Almighty God in Christ. We die to ourselves. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? We deny ourselves. We die to ourselves. This is the language that Scripture uses to, to identify the Christian. A Christian is someone who's submitted their will to Christ. It's not my will, but your will be done. We prayed that earlier, didn't we? We deny those fleshly urges to live according to our own laws and rules. And we die to those and we live unto the grace of God, unto the law of God that flows out of the, well, grace of God. This is the will of God for us. And we're going to hone in on some of that. But let me, first of all, show us that the scripture certainly highlights that each one of us bear our own responsibilities and load. 
Yes, we have a lot of similarities with one another, but we also are unique before God. Whether it's in marriage, in being a single person, or whether it's a marriage with no children or a marriage with many children, whether it's young, whether it's old, brothers and sisters, we all bear certain responsibilities as it concerns following Jesus. And we need to understand that. Look with me, I guess, at John, we'll start here, John 21. I've always certainly found this uh, verse interesting. This is uh, Peter. This is uh, Jesus walking with Peter. Peter's been restored. And now they are uh, seemingly they're walking on the beach together. And verse 20 says, Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So we see even in that interaction between Peter and Jesus and John, the youngest of the disciples, what is Jesus telling Peter? Peter, don't worry about John. I've got his own load and responsibilities. You worry about Peter. You worry about bearing your cross. You worry about following me. Don't worry about him. And so that verse does intimate, it doesn't go into great detail at all, but it certainly intimates that there are differences. Well, turn to Acts chapter 9. And the reason I want to highlight this, beloved, is because I want you to understand that what I'm asking you this morning, or well, it's what I'm preaching to you this morning, what I'm laying before you and calling you to, to accept and to take hold of and to leave here practicing is that how, what has God laid in your life at this time where you have to follow him in order to continue your testimony of being a Christian? In Acts chapter 9, this is Paul's conversion and look at verse 13 through 16. Now, I mean, let me, let me set the context. I mean, this was very interesting times in the first century as the church was sort of birthed, if you will. There's, uh, you know, the disciples have been sent out. They're preaching. Paul had taken upon himself to get rid of these false worshipers. So the church was under great persecution at this time, Hard, great hardship. Paul had taken it upon himself to be the hero of Jehovah, and he was going to go wipe out these Christians to the glory of God. And, and God calls him on the road to Damascus. We're not going to look at that calling in particular, but this is after that. In verse 13, but Ananias answered, now he's been told that, he, okay, Paul, I've converted him, um, 
Ananias, we're going to do some great, I'm going to do great things with him. Ananias answered, said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Now that's Paul's cross. That's what it was for Paul to follow Jesus. This was the, quote, burdened that the Lord laid on Paul. This was his to carry. It didn't belong to you, didn't belong to me, didn't belong to Peter, didn't belong to John. This was Paul's burden, and the Lord laid it squarely on his shoulders, and he goes, listen, I, he's going to be my suffering servant. And I'm going to send him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And yes, he is even going to touch on kings and Jews. Peter was the disciple to the Jews. That was the calling that the Lord laid upon him. Now we see in these two texts of scriptures, that in these two texts of scripture, that brothers and sisters, each one must pick up what the Lord has laid upon them and follow Jesus. Yes, we have that general, those general graces that we all share alike, that is the, the, the faith, the repentance, and the submission, the loyalties, the, uh, the allegiance, all of those things we certainly share. And yet at the same time, there are particular loads that we all have to carry. And that's where that personal commitment and submission comes in. We all can say, yes, praise be God. Yes, the, Jesus is Lord. Yes, Jesus is King. I stand with my brothers and sisters and I declare these things to be a reality. And so, however, we all must then come back to the reality of, yet I must bear my load before Christ. I must carry my cross and follow him. Now that may come in a very, um, it can come in tr trying, the trying of the nations, the trying of history. We could, we could look at numerous, we could look at dozens of passages of scripture that talks about when the nations fall under the judgment of God and the particular burden that places upon its, well, inhabitants of those nations. That in those circumstances, we have to pick up our load and responsibility and follow Christ. Nothing different, nothing new. Maybe it's a family burden or a family care, a family distraction or a, a, what we might call a, a family, you know, um, um, uh, tragedy. That was the word I was looking for. These things, brothers and sisters, have an effect upon us and they also lay upon us certain duties and responsibilities that we have to pick up and lay upon our shoulders and do them as part of 
bearing our cross. Now, Jesus had a unique ministry. I mean, we could go to look at Matthew chapter 4, look at the temptation of Jesus. And again, that was something that was very unique to Jesus. The coming of Satan to tempt him in the wilderness. We see there the, the similarity between Adam being in the garden and being tempted by Satan and falling and plunging the whole human race in darkness and sin. And yet Jesus has the second Adam or the last Adam and come to do what? He had to pass that probation. Now, brothers and sisters, you can take heart to know this. Satan's probably never going to come and knock on your door. You're not that important. And neither am I. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have devils knocking on your door, but probably not for the, you know, the, the prince of darkness. He's reserved his attention to greater powers, probably like nations, heads of nations are the, you know, you know, well, NATO and such. But you can, you can rest assured that devils do lie in wait and temptation for God's children. But that was unique to Christ. He had to bear that himself. He had to bear the agony of going to the cross. And we find that in his Gethsemane experience. Bearing the weight of the whole world, if you will, upon his shoulders in that moment was, I mean, it threw him to the ground. That's the text of scripture that tells us that he sweat as it were drops of blood. The agony that he faced and he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Now, the point being, brothers and sisters, that there is in this following after Jesus, there is a general following that we all must, well, fall into, that we all have to perform. And yet then for each of us, there are particular followings that we must pick up our cross and follow him. Let's look at Luke 14, because Luke 14 is a text of scripture that where Luke lays out this teaching of Jesus, and he's already, in one sense, he's, he's really handled many of these things that Jesus is dealing with with the rich young ruler. It's sort of the backdrop, if you will, of the rich young ruler. In verse 25, notice in this text that the large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said that it is large crowds were following Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He recognizes them. Now, this is also similar to John 6 where Jesus has these large crowds following after him, but he recognizes that they're not there for, well, true salvation or true purposes of eternal life, that they're just there for the novelty of following this new teacher. It's just something new. I mean, it's very much, I mean, look at the fads we face in our own day. We have many of them. 
Many of them. I mean, we get so easily caught up in the fad. Same, same thing back then. Jesus, for so many people, well, he was a fad. He was a novelty. He was interesting. And so they go after him. But Jesus knows they're not real. They're not true disciples, if you were. They're not true disciples, if you will. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes after me, he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Look, listen to that language. And you know, that language there is designed to grab your attention. That's why Jesus used it. It was, it, 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 it's the kind of language that makes people stop what they're doing when they're putting stuff in their bags and look up and go, what did he just say? Jesus here uses this strong language in order to grab their attention so they would start listening to him. He's not contradicting himself. He's not commanding us to love our neighbor as ourselves, which would certainly include what? Husband and wife and father and mother and son and daughter and that sort of thing. He's not doing it now. He's not contradicting himself. No, it's strong language in order to get a people that's really spiritually dull to look up and go, wait a minute, what? What does this cost me? What, is, what are you requiring of me? And that's why he said right there toward the end, and even his own life. Notice, look at the emphatic end of the verse. He cannot be my disciple. Now, that's not wishy-washy. That's not, Jesus is not mixing, you know, words here and ideas. Now, look, if you can't do the, if you cannot put me first, you can't be my disciple. If I am not your ultimate superior, your Lord, your master, your king, if I can't have your total allegiance and loyalties, you cannot be my disciple. And the contrast, he put it in, he put all of these things out there that we take great joy and delight in. Our father, mother, sons and daughters and children and all of these things. We have to wrestle with that. We can say, oh, I want Jesus and I want salvation, but you know, he must take second place to my husband or to my wife or to my children or to my grandchildren. No, Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're not my disciple. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Because you will learn to hate one and love the other. You can't serve two masters. And he goes on, he doesn't stop there. There's a lot more here. He says in verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And look, he just said, made another emphatic, you can't be my disciple. If you don't carry your own load and responsibilities, you can't be my disciple. If you cannot bear what I have laid upon your shoulders, those things that belong to you, you can't be my disciple. And you bear them in Jesus' name, you can't be my disciple. No matter what it is in your life, 
No matter, you, you've got personality quirks. You've got, you, 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 you didn't have a, a father or a mother. You were an orphan. You were raised in an orphanage. Or you were raised on the streets. Or, or you were raised in a religious house, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, you know, a viable religious house. It doesn't matter what your background is, but now that you come to Christ, if you're going to follow after him, you must bear all of these things in Jesus' name, and you must pursue Jesus. We're going to look at what that we're going to look at that. Don't worry. We're getting there. And that's what he's telling them and that's the same message he has for us. Look at verse 28. For which one of you when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it or otherwise when he's laid a foundation is not able to finish all who observe it began to ridicule him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. And then he uses the analogy of the king going to war and not counting the cost. Does he have the means, the men, can he, can, is he, can he take care of them on the battlefield? All these things in verse 33. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Meaning to give them up in the sense that is following after Jesus, beloved, means you've got to give yourself up. We know that. You have to come to that place of self-denial. It's not my will, but God's will be done. We come to the place of submission. You may say, well, I don't submit to anybody, but you've got to submit to Jesus, and you've got to submit to his will, or you can't be his disciple. You can't have eternal life, and you're never going to possess the kingdom of God. It's just that's the reality. We don't live in the in-between here. And I don't want you to fall into that, that mindset of, well, I can do partial things. No, you see the one or it's either you do or you don't. It's not, it's not half and half. It's all or nothing. Jesus is all or nothing. He, he doesn't come to share the throne of your heart with any other God. He comes to possess it all or have none of it. And of course, this is a, an attack upon the easy believism that America has suffered under for decades. That is, we just make a profession of faith and we can go on about our lives and just live any old way we want to and just every now and then say a few spiritual things and we're okay. That's not the Christianity in the scriptures. That's not possessing the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about here. How many of us are saying, I have given it all, I follow after you no matter what it cost me. And of those, listen, why is it hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Because he has more to give up. The poor have nothing to give up. You know, it's easy for the poor to vote in a way for the rich to give all their money away. That's easy, isn't it? It's easy to vote to give up for people to give their money away. When you don't have anything, you don't possess anything, you never earned anything, it's easy to give other people stuff away. 
But that's not what Jesus is asking for. He says, what you must give up. Notice this is all very particular to you. Not y'all. You. Each one of you must bear your cross and follow Jesus. Let's look at for the remainder of our time, let's look at sort of hone in on what it is sort of to follow after Jesus and I guess make it clearer. Let's make it clearer. The Bible teaches us that when we come to Christ, we are considered a new creation. You are considered a new creation. But what is this new creation? Well, this new creation is certainly related to this command to follow Jesus. To become a new creation is to become that, that person that has put off self and now well, the old master and now has put on a new master. It's put off their own will, a denial of self, and put on a new will that is the commandments of God. That is, this is the way of Christ, so to speak. That's what it means to be a new creation. It means to, to be, well, to walk afresh and anew in this world that displays that we belong to Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 6. I want to be repetitive, but at the same time, we're driving the point home. In Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to read the first part of the chapter in order to enforce in your mind this, this idea that we all have responsibilities that we must bear. In verse 1, he says, Brethren, even if anyone who is caught in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He says, listen, when a brother or a sister is caught in a sin and it's overtaken them and they need help, we as faithful brothers and sisters, particularly elders, pastors, counselors, are to come along beside and help them. But notice that the help is not to take away their responsibility. The help is to aid them in keeping their responsibility. It's not to assume it. It's not to relieve them of it. It's not to take it away from them, but it's to come along beside them as it were. You remember we talk about, you know, you must bear your own cross. You know what that looks like. 
And, you know, when Jesus says this, I mean, the picture is gruesome. And they would have perfectly been almost disgusted by it because in Rome, capital punishment was by crucifixion, was one of the ways in which they uh, exercised capital punishment was crucifixion. They had other ways, but this was a very primary way. And those who were being crucified had to carry their own cross from the jail cell to the hill where they were going to be crucified. They had to carry it themselves. And so you would see this procession of this judged person worthy of death carrying this cross. And I'm, I'm sure followed by the family doing what? Wailing, crying, lamenting that their family member, loved one, was about to die. A gruesome, gruesome death. And so for Jesus to use that as a metaphor of what it is to follow him, brothers and sisters would strike disgust in the heart of his listeners. And we don't even get that. When we hear that, we don't think anything about it, but that's the picture. The pick up your cross, to bear it on your shoulders. What Paul is saying, everyone has their load to carry. And if that load becomes heavy and they need help, you come along beside them and you sturdy them up. You don't take it off of them. You sturdy them up. Because in verse five, he says, for each one will bear his own load. And of course he comes down and then he uses this sacramental language right there toward the end of the chapter. And again, he says right there in verse 15, for neither circumcision, neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation and those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And what is Paul doing? He's speaking to the church and he says, listen, this, this circumcision, the this, this ceremony of, of circumcision, or no, that's not the thing. What matters now is that you are a new creation in Christ. Well, how do I know I'm a new creation in Christ? I, I'm following him. I'm bearing my cross. I'm going after him. I'm bearing my own duties and responsibilities. And that's how we know. Because what did Jesus say? If you don't follow me, you don't what, have eternal life. If, unless you're willing to die to self, you, you, you can't follow me. No, Paul here emphasizes what we must be is that new creation in Christ. And that belongs to, that's the reality of those who are following after Jesus. Beloved, that is you. If you are following after Jesus, if you are bearing your cross, you have taken upon these responsibilities providentially and seasonally in life. Because you know what? They change. The load that you're carrying now as a young person is not going to be the load you carry as a middle-aged person. Amen? The load you're carrying now as a middle-aged person is not the load you carry now as a very seasoned person, mature person. They're different. They change. 
with life circumstances, and yet they are still as vastly important as any other, it's just like when you were young. That is, that is, the old are just as faithful as those who are full of this strength and vigor and passion. And I want to debate. I want to win the world to Jesus. I want to do all these things. I want to conquer the world in Christ's name. And the old and seasoned who have become very physically tired and deal with all of the various elements in this life, they become more prayer warriors than anything. They still bear their load too. Still equal, valid, and important. That's why we have to be so careful when we look at one another and we go, well, they're not doing what I'm doing. Again, we have those general things, but we also bear those particular things as well. Notice again, this reality is picked up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn there with me. I'm going to move quickly because I do want to get to Ephesians 4 as the sort of the culmination and application of these things. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now, what is he talking about here? He says, in Christ, there is a new way, right? There's a new master, new Lord. There's a, a new purpose in life, if you will. I think the old things that Paul is referring to here, certainly the old covenant, that is the covenant of works and the bearing of, you know, listen, until we come to Christ, do you know we're all going to be judged by our works, perfection of it. The perfection of our works. Have we thought a, a, a sinful thought? Mm, that's not good. Have we done a sinful deed? That's definitely not good. Are we even opposing evil where we find it? I mean, all of these things, we're judged by the, we're still under the covenant of works in Adam. It's coming to Christ. What? The old things have passed off. We're, not, we're no longer working our way to heaven. Now we are pursuing heaven by the grace of Almighty God in Christ freely bestowed upon us, freely given to us, undeserved, unmerited, unearned, yet possessed in Christ. Our trust now becomes our meat and drink and not our works. Lest any man should boast. These new Things have come into our lives. We have new purpose. We have new ambitions and new goals, if you will. Now my service and my obedience and my labors are all flowing from this fountain of God's amazing grace and not from the, from the fountain of effort and work. It's grace. God's grace working in me, changing my mind, my heart, giving me a passion, giving me a zeal that flows. Oh, that, that my God would love me this much. He is worthy of my service. That's what it is. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Because that's what Jesus was doing with his heavenly father. He says, look, I come not to do my will, but the will of him who 
sent me. And when it comes to salvation and us following Jesus, what are we saying? It's not my will. Now, grace has murdered my will. Grace has now enlivened the will of God in me. That's why we call it amazing grace. Because it has such an effect and impact upon our lives, doesn't it? Because it shades and it, 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 it turns everything that we look at into that. Well, how does this bless the Lord? What does this mean to the glory of God? Just like Jesus and following, this is my meat and drink, Lord. How do I glorify you? And of course, when we fail, have we bared that guilt? But it's not the same as in the old covenant. We know that Christ has borne our sins in his own flesh. That's not just the sins you have committed. That's the sins you're going to commit. All of them. The sins you have yet to commit, Christ paid for. Grace and faith are the means of this new life and this new creation. Grace and faith. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's our motto. We have a change in purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, there's following after Jesus means we have a, a, a different purpose in life. We have a, a new purpose. It's not a purpose of just doing our own thing or being religious and being moral and being good in the sense of, of being acknowledged by others as being good. No, that's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. That is, these works are not like the works of the old covenant. These are grace works. These are the works that we do that flow out of the fountain of God's amazing grace. They are seasoned by God's grace. They are seasoned by the love of God. We do them vigor. We do them with a passion because we are bearing that the um, far be. Can we even imagine the amazing love that God has for us and what we will one day experience in heaven? You know what? It's going to be more. We're all going to stand there with our mouths hanging open. It's amazing, unbelievable. Unbelievable glory, unbelievable love that now is a new creation. God has ordained these works that we would walk in in Christ, following after him, doing these things in the name of the Son of God, all flowing out of that amazing saving grace. They're better. They're better. Because you know what we're saying? You know, when we do works in the old covenant, you know what we say? Look at me. What did the rich young ruler say? I've done this since my youth. In these works, we say, look at God. Look at God. Look what, look at the amazing God we have. Look what God's done with this poor old country boy. 
why would he use someone like me? These are those works that flow from his grace in a renewed heart. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's get into some meat here. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 24. Let's back up to verse 20. Now, I love this portion of Ephesians. This is where Paul begins to really make this application of what it is to be saved by grace, right? He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. That is, there are certain things. When you came to Christ, you learned how to live like a Christian. That's what he means in that verse. You knew what it meant to follow after Jesus. You knew what it was to pick up your cross and follow after him. That's what Paul is saying is this is how you come to salvation. This is what you learned about it. These were your duties and responsibilities. And he says in verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth in Jesus, what Paul is saying is, listen, if you don't understand Christianity in this way, you've never heard Jesus' voice. If you don't understand Christianity in this way, you don't possess it. This is the narrow way. This is the path. This is, the, this is what it means to follow after Jesus. And Paul's now going to go into these general things that we must all put our hands to. In verse 22, he says that in the reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of the seat and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God as being created in righteousness and holiness and truth. What does Paul mean? I mean, what, what's he getting at there in verse 24? He says, well, listen, put on the new self. Let the reality be that you are now this follower of Jesus Christ. You are a cross bearer. You are a disciple. That's what he's saying. He's just saying, he's saying it in different language. You are the, this is your new self. Just as the rich young ruler was to die to his old self, this young, you know, uh, everything going for him, young guy with this authority, with all of these possessions, he was to die to himself and then follow Christ. This is what Paul is saying. This is the action, beloved, that we're to take every day as we follow after Christ. We're to do this daily. We're to do this constantly. This is what it means to wake up every day and make these decisions that I am a disciple of Christ. I am a Christ follower. I belong to him. I've been bought with a price and I'm gonna die to myself and I'm gonna put on the new self. Just like I put on these clothes, I'm gonna put on Christ. What is the goal what is the goal there in verse 24? There is one. The verse tells us in verse 24, it says that to put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Righteousness and holiness, beloved, are direct objects. Why are we to put on Jesus Christ? 
Why are we to be, why are we to pursue, put on Christ and pursue this likeness of God? Because the goal is righteousness. This new life of righteousness that flows from God's amazing grace. What's righteousness? Well, good deeds. Righteousness is righteous acts. Justice. Righteousness. The way we treat one another, the way we interact with one another in business deals, the way we interact with the world, righteousness. And holiness, what's holiness referred to? Being set apart. That we are set apart for the glory of God. I belong to God. I don't belong to this world in its system of corruption and idolatry. I don't belong to the I don't belong to this world's fallen system of idolatry. I belong to God, the true and living God. He's my master. And that's why when it comes down to who are you going to obey, I'm going to obey God rather than men. Because I've been I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been bought with a price. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've got to bear that cross. And, and yet we've had a season, listen, even though this nation has secretly punished Christians for decades, secretly, now it's open. Now it's an open hostility to Christianity. Well, for decades it's been sort of under the radar, but it's gone on. Now it's in your face. And that means if we're, you know, our cross may be, we're going to have to suffer a little bit like the first century Christians did. And then Paul called him. He said, listen, we have to suffer. How can we who, who follow Jesus in all of his suffering, should it be strange to us if we suffer? In your suffering, you do not Lay down your cross. You do not stop following Jesus and you don't stop being a new creation. You continue to put on Christ every day. Look at the context here. Look at verse 25 and following. Therefore, here's what Paul says. Now he says, listen, here's what it means, this righteousness and holiness of the truth, laying aside falsehood, Speak the truth with one another, with, with, with each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not let the devil have opportunity. He didn't say don't be angry, did he? He said don't be angry and sin. Do you think these Christians... Do you think they were angry when they heard that Nero was lighting up Christians in his garden? Do you think they were, do you think that they would have said, oh, well, we can't get upset about Nero throwing the Christians out into the Colosseum, you know, sewing them up in animal skin so the lions can go out there and have their way with them, throwing these Christian families out there and let them all huddle in the middle while these wild animals just tear them to pieces over hours at a time. That was the reality. Now he said, don't be angry and sin. That is, don't be angry and take up, that lay down your cross and, and do foolish things. 
Be angry in righteousness. We ought to be angry that we've murdered 30 million plus babies in this country. That claims to be a Christian country. A Christian land. We ought to be angry when we hear our politicians talk about uh, abortion up to birth and even a few weeks after. We all laughed at that a decade ago. Oh, that will never happen. Here we are. Why? Because evil is never static. Evil doesn't sleep. It wants more and more and more and more. And what happened, you know, uh, was it Edmund Burke? What's needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Well, good men have done nothing in this land. Because the church, by and large, has just sat in the pew waiting on glory to show up. And they've not picked up their cross and followed after Christ, bearing whatever season of difficulty it is they have to bear in Jesus' name. So you can see, beloved, yes, there are similarities and there are things we do. And from generation to generation to generation, we all have to enter the narrow path. We all have to repent of our sins. We all have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We all have to grow in these graces. But yet, throughout our lives, we all have particular things that we must bear in Christ's name. And that's what it is for you to be a Christian. A Christian woman, a Christian man, a Christian older person, a Christian family, whatever it is, this is what you have to bear. To bear his name. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that you will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Amen. This is what it is to follow after Jesus. To deny self. To acknowledge him. To put to death the old ways and to put on the new man and the new path, the new ways, the new responsibilities. Brothers and sisters, I'm asking the question, are you following Jesus are you following Jesus? Are you picking up those responsibilities that are yours in Christ and are you bearing that in the joy of the Lord? Are you doing that for his glory because he has supplied all the grace you need to bear your cross? He supplies it. He gives you that grace. You know, Paul talked about in a human perspective coming along beside us someone hurting. You know who comes along beside you every day and me? Jesus. Jesus will come along beside you in your prayers, in your study, in your time of need. He's the one that the Bible says sticks closer than a brother. And he's always there. He's always there.
And beloved, I implore you, I beseech you, I encourage you to examine your activities, your actions, your responsibilities, and then ask the question, how have I, how have I carried my cross before the Lord? And what must I do? What must I do to follow Christ? Let's pray. Now, gracious Heavenly Father, it is with joy that we can come and seek your face and, Lord, to acknowledge these responsibilities and these duties. But, Lord, we all know that in many ways we fall short. Well, this morning we ask that you would give us that, just more of that amazing grace, Lord. Come to us, Lord, acknowledging a testifying and affirming in our hearts the truth of the matter, helping each one of us sort out our own duties and responsibilities so that we might each one in all of our situations be faithful to you. Lord, that's what we want. Lord, I not only want to be faithful, but I want my brothers and sisters to be faithful as well. We drink from the same fountain. We have the same Lord. We have the same amazing, loving grace. We have the same... Lord, scriptures, Lord, the same truth. And yet, Lord, we do have differing and unique responsibilities. Help us to love one another. Help us to encourage one another in what we all, in what each one has to bear. Now, Lord, we do love you. And it's an imperfect love now, but it won't always be. When we're glorified, we will possess a perfect love for you that will be, well, completely satisfying to us, Lord, in every way. So, Lord, come now and minister to us. Help us to repent where we need to repent. Help us to exercise faith where we need to trust and, and believe and rest in you. And Lord, just continue to show us the way we must go. In Jesus' name, amen.